Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. I've got Marilyn. Hey, guys. And Elliot. Hey, everybody. And today, we are going to talk to you about running. So the most important question to start with when talking about running ever is not if you've done Boston. It is, have you done a beer mile? Elliot. Yes, quite a few. <laughs> I can't remember them all. Wow, quite a few. All right. Well, how'd they go? Or is there one that went particularly I well you want have, to tell us about? I won the University of Victoria cross country team beer mile, while included, which included some very fast runners. Some, some like the fastest guy there is like a three fifty three miler and made semifinals of world champs of the fifteen hundred. Um, I don't think he was a fan of me because I was not that serious of a runner, even though I was on the college team anyways. But yeah, I, uh, was not the, the best part about that is, um, I believe he outsplit me by 15 seconds in the last quarter. And so almost caught me, but I was out drinking him by, you know, 20 seconds of beer. So I had a little bit of a leg up. And of course, when we ran the actual races without drinking, I lost massively. So Little but tiny no, I, runners are usually not great beer drinkers. Yeah, not although you're in Canada and they're Canadian, that, I mean, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in side of things. There. I think I do believe the at the time beer mile world record holder was there mocking us all because you know he was still another minute plus faster than me or whatever. <laughs> um, but no, I've done quite a few, at least ten, and I've never thrown up, but um, I've never really run all that impressively fast, never under six minutes or anything like that. But they're fun. So good way to start a night. Yeah. <laughs> it better bad, be a big bad night. Way. Bad <laughs> way this is a running a podcast, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I tend to not remember a whole lot at the end of the night when I start a night with a beer mile. Right. Um, oh, my gosh. I've only done two. So I do not have the, uh, the experience that Elliot has in beer miling. Um, but Robert Scribner, if you're listening, I did beat Robert Scribner once in a beer mile, and uh, that was maybe the highlight of my career thus far. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I can beat it at some point, but that's what I've got. Nice. nice. Marilyn, I, what about I, you? I've, yeah, I've legit DNF'd every single beer mile I've ever tried. And I'm telling you, there's quite a few because we used to do the beer mile before every Christmas party and before every Halloween party here in Tucson. And so a group of us would do the beer mile and then head to the big party. And I, I'm sad to say, terrible, absolute disgrace. DNF on the second beer every single time. So I'm st I just can't, I need, I need your coaching, Elliot, <laughs> for the beer mile. And it's, I can drink the beer and I can run all right. The two together, no bueno. I, I <laughs> used to convince myself that you just had to be really thirsty, but I, I honestly think it just is kind of like a iron gut thing and you're just running and burping and it's pretty miserable. Um, for those listening, I don't necessarily suggest it, but it's, it's certainly fun to fun to do it and fun to practice whatever in the it's, office. It's only, it's only type two fun. It is not fun during at all. <laughs> well, it's still the funny. It's still racing. If you get a group of competitive pe people together, I definitely remember being like, Oh, I'm, I'm full on in race mode, but I also just slammed three coconies in a row and I'm about to slam, you know? So like, it's this weird combination of, um, like partying and, and how I view it as real racing. I, I'm assuming most people aren't that weird, but you know, teach their own. <laughs> <laughs> Are right, we talking so, about running now? 
the theme of the day is running, not not strictly for beer mile running, but maybe how to get better at running in triathlon or just get better at running in general. So we're going to kind of break this podcast up into two sections, three sections, beer mile running, beginner running, <laughs> and more advanced running. We've already covered beer mile running as much as we're going to today. So we're going to move on to people that are you know able to run, but are looking at maybe trying to get a little bit faster at running. Um, and then after we finish that, we'll move on to more advanced runners and things more advanced runners can do to try and pick up a little more speed in their running. So to get started in that beginner category, what do you have, what do you have to say to, to kind of, if you were going to give a beginner a few pieces of advice, do you have like one piece of advice you would start with or a few you want to throw out there at once? Get out the door often and do not run through the pain. <laughs> Assuming the pain being, you know, like joint pain or bone pain. Um, there's only one of you keep yourself intact. So it's, it's all about frequency and not breaking yourself. And yes, running is hard and like you can run through a side stitch, you know, you can th run through your legs being tired, but you can't run through your, a broken foot or a broken tibia, um, or a strained whatever. Um, so I guess that's how I would start it. Yeah. I would awesome. say most people, when they first take up running, um, especially if they already come from some kind of sport background, but even if they don't, if they're just like, Hey, I just want to give running a try as the very first thing I'm ever going to do. Most people tend to start running too, with too much speed. Right. And so I even encourage people, depending on where they're at to, you know, not be afraid to start with very, even 15 minutes of running has a pretty big impact and, and starting even with walk, run. You know, it's there is, or maybe even starting with a base of walking for a period of time before we even get to a point where we're walk run and then running continuously. So, you know, really smart progression, but the most common mistake I see from beginners and especially beginners that have been running for a little while, say they've got themselves to a point where they're running 30 minutes, three times a week. Um, a lot of those runners, you'll see them they're they're really running too fast for where they're at in their development. And so I would I would strongly encourage people to say, like, don't be afraid to slow down to start out with and and know that it's going to be a patient and long process to develop to the point where we're one of those advanced runners and we'll, and, you know, what the phases of that will look like. Well, the two first things on my list are easy and frequency. So I think we're off to a good start. Um, <laughs> two for two. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think building frequency is the safest way for people to build running kind of just echoing what you guys have said, not trying to build duration right away, but trying to see how many times you can get out the door as it can be a much safer way to, to kind of stack running. And then just to echo the keeping your easy runs easy is I feel like I found myself running with groups of people and they'll tell me like their marathon goal time. And it'll be, it'll be slower than the pace that we're doing our easy run at. So I'm like, okay, so we're running this run faster than your marathon goal pace. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going out for a run. And, and I think really trying to make sure that we're flipping that on its head and we're keeping our easy days extremely easy so that, you know, you, you can stay, you can stay healthy. I think that's a, that's definitely a, a, a key that I see, especially beginner runners and runners that have carry in some fitness from other sports can, 
you can really get excited and try and run fast. And, you know, that doesn't help with the longevity and running doesn't help you kind of build mileage as much as you could. And it can definitely lead to injury. And, and, uh, I would say the general thought process for your average runner is whatever extremely easy is, is actually probably appropriately easy. Or like, if people are like, I was running comically easy. If you strapped a heart rate monitor on them and you ran them through some tests, you'd be like, Oh, you were only two beats over what you should have been. And then they look at you and say, what? Um, but the best way to keep frequent is to make sure you're running easy enough. And for a lot of people, if you really are a beginner, um, like walking, there's no shame in walking. And, and as Marilyn said, whether that's a walk run or just like going out for a walk, you know, um, it's, you need that time on feet and kind of like, I think the general thing people should be aware of is it takes about 120 days for all the cells in your bones to like regenerate. So like your bone is essentially all new cells 120 days later, but it's a, it's a rolling cycle. They're constantly regenerating. And so if you look at that, it takes about like four months to make a progression um, and, and handle a new level of loading and pounding. And so if you're going from couch to nothing, you can't just load, 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 load continually. You need to really give it some time. And so if you're, if you're building in some walking in between your easy running, that's kind of one of the safest ways to go about it for bone health. Yeah. And I would also say for beginners, you know, it's, it's going to be important that right away you get into footwear that's right for you. And, and that is good footwear, because I think one of the things that I'm hearing from all of us that's different, maybe a little bit different from the other sports is that running, there's a tens more of a, more of tendency to get injured, right? I mean, run, running an injury or sort of a finer balance than maybe the other sports on an average or on a whole. So, you know, making sure that you get into, into good footwear and, and footwear that's, you know, suited to you. I think that's an important thing. It's kind of like we talked about with the bikes, you know, getting a good bike fit, that's going to make a world of difference right from the start. Does your bike fit you? Is it set up right for you? Those kinds of things. I think on the people tend to overlook that on the run. They just go to the store and slap on some shoes and think this'll, this'll do. And, and they don't think about that in those beginning stages. So, you know, getting that looked at and getting that right is, is going to help you out right from the start, I think. Yeah. And on that note, I, I do, I see people that jump onto like trends, like there was a zero drop trend for a while before that there was like a 15 millimeter drop trend and, and, you know, getting a foot strike analysis or having someone look at you on a treadmill to kind of decide what shoe might be best for you and, and what kind of heel drop you might need and not being like, not being caught up in what's popular right now, because yeah, I see a lot of people get injured from something like a zero drop shoe that might not be right for them. And so I think the, the confusing thing for a lot of people it, with the zero drop or, or barefoot running, et cetera, is like, Sure. Yes. In the long term, if you had a zero drop shoe, like statistically, it's going to be healthier for your Achilles. But you have to remember most everyone listening to this podcast has not been wearing zero drop shoes their whole life. So you're actually when you go from a, a shoe with any sort of stack height to a zero drop or to barefoot running, you're changing the load and you're in you're changing it very, very quickly. So like you actually have a chance to do massive amounts of damage, even though in theory, maybe it's better. Um, and that's only for health. That's not necessarily better for speed. And we're often trying to solve for speed. So 
it, when you look into the research, it's it's not as black and white as you see. And and that's where when we're saying like keep things easy, uh, you keep that in mind when you change whenever you change footwear, even if it's to a supposedly better option, you often have to back off on your intensity and back off on your mileage to make sure you stay healthy. What's your guys' opinion? So I I had like um do you have athletes when they are beginners and they start, I find this happens pretty often where, you know, you do, you throw a heart rate strap on them just as a coach, you want to see what's going on in terms of pace and their effort and their perceived exertion. You can see what their heart rate is. Um, I find pretty commonly people's obviously when they first start their heart rates, like really, really high. Like let's say their heart rate, their max is just for, just for sake of numbers, 200. And even just at a easy jog, as soon as they start jogging, their heart rates up in the like 175, 177. And they say, oh, this feels easy. And so there becomes this conversation between coach and athlete of helping them understand that, you know, most of them aren't going to be patient enough to see it through where they get to a point where we start seeing that, that change in physiology where their heart rate is getting lower and lower and the paces are getting faster and faster. For the most part, what ends up happening, I see, especially now, is they say, I can't use heart rate. It doesn't, it doesn't, I'm excluded from this. I'm more, basically I'm more special than the rule. And so therefore I'm not gonna wear heart rate and I'm just gonna run this fast. And they end up in a cycle of injury or not ever being able to build the mileage properly. I've also had, athletes that completely commit to the process of understanding we're going to run frequently and slowly for a long period of time, along with obviously we'll, we'll get to it like some running that is at more of an effort or hill work or, you know, some kind of intervals, that kind of stuff. But, but for the most part of their development saying, we're going to slow you right down and build up your durability and your volume at a low heart rate until we see that marker as a coach where the heart rate's coming down and the pace is coming up. I had one athlete that was com completely committed to that process for a full year and she has benefited. I mean, now I, you know, once we hit those numbers, she's able to train. I said, okay, well now you're going to be able to train more volume. And when we started running really fast, she could run much, much faster. We could push that ceiling of the really hard runs. Now that we were able to bring the heart rate, she could see, oh, I can actually recover between intervals and my heart rate's not just pin 10 from max, just as soon as I start moving. Um, what, what's your guys' experience with talking athletes through that process? And do you even agree with it? I mean, I don't know where you guys even stand with that process. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I hundred percent agree. I think one of the tricks is that people need to learn how to run slowly. And I think that the, the whole solving for like cadence can be really challenging for some people to learn how to slow down. And I think that's, that's the, that's a sticking point that I run into with people is like, they say like, I can't run any slower. This feels easy. And then they try to slow down and they try and slow down by slowing their cadence. And so it feels harder, like say muscularly for them. So, so really like being able to teach people how to run slowly and keep their cadence at a fairly high rate is, is the, the sticking point that I, I run into with that. Um, and yeah, the same thing with like keeping their heart rate high and like not wanting to run slower that I found that same thing. And I, and I found that usually the problem is like them understanding how to biomechanically actually run at a slower pace while maintaining a faster cadence, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
And there's definitely plenty of drills and techniques and different things that I've incorporated just to address those issues and start get them to start to learn them. Um, so I understand what you're saying there. Elliot, I think- I, I think, yeah, well, so one, I, I definitely like getting people to run easy is essentially like 90% of my job, right? Um, and the other 10% is everything to do with triathlon. Um, it's really hard to do. It's hard to do day in, day out. And it's hard to kind of get into that mindset because when it comes to racing, running is like the hardest, um, in terms of just max, the, the way you can get your heart rate, the highest, right. And have your body completely come to a, a crumble at the finish. So a couple's, I, I like to use stories and, and I have a bunch, but I think the main one is like, if you research, um, Mark Allen, who's wait. Um, what six time Ironman Hawaii champ. And if you look through his training, like he was one of the first people to run low heart rate and keep track of it and then have proof. And then, and then it shows out on race day where he's just able to run at an extremely high pace with a really low heart rate. And of course he's like an Ironman champion. Um, and to what Jesse was saying about the stride length. So in 2000, uh, spring of 2000, I'm running high school track and I like do the conference meet and I line up whatever. I'm like seated ninth in the race in my conference. And the kid who's seated first is also the fastest miler in the country. And he, he goes on and he doesn't break the four minute mile two two weeks later at the Prefontaine classic, but he gets, he, at that time, he was the fifth fastest high school miler in us history. And I just remember watching him you heard about running easy even back in 2000, but it wasn't really a thing back then. Um, at least not in the United States. And I just remember watching him run crazy easy with these really baby strides at the exact same cadence that he ran his four minute mile in. And he just like had the same cadence, but his stride length was like literally 10 times longer when he was running fast. And I think like little things that you can see, like watch, even just here in Tucson, you'll see some of the U of A runners running um, and you watch them running easy. They're running eight minute pace, but the cadence stays the same. So I think like reminding people it's keep your same cadence, keep your same rhythm, but your stride length is going to be insanely short and it's okay to have a 18 inch stride. Um, you're going to be doing a massive amount of benefit down the road. So I think like little things like that. And then once you hear that you start watching fast people run slow and then you start to get more confidence that maybe that is the way you should do it. So like little pieces of knowledge like that. And then it's like, go find a really fast person and watch them run easy. Watch them. How do they run easy? How do I do that version of, of running easy for myself? If that makes sense. So it's a little combo of what you guys were just saying. Yeah. And I think the reason it's important, I mean, this goes back, even if you, if you read through like a lot of Arthur Lydiard stuff, you know, I think he kept his athletes in the base phase of, of training until they had a resting horning heart rate of like, is something ridiculously low, like 32 or 36 or 38. I can't remember the exact number it's in his literature, but it's like a really low number. And these markers, it's not necessarily the reason we're looking for them as coaches, not because we're going to ask you to run slow forever. Of course, you're going to need to run fast at some point to run fast, but if we don't have this established base and if if you're always as soon as you start jogging at all your heart rate is within 10 or 15 of your max obviously how long you're going to be able to sustain that for is going to be really limited at some point as well as when you when you do ask yourself to run fast it's not 
you're not going to be able to really go that fast because it's going to be very, very small increase before you are hitting your max. And then you're going to have to slow down or we call it, we start to blow up a little bit. And then the next problem arises is that when you need to recover, like say we're doing intervals like five by three minutes or something like that, and your heart rate is very high, as soon as you go to recover, the heart rate doesn't drop down that much. So you see then there starts to become a problem in the work that we need to do to improve because we're, we're not really running that much faster than the easy stuff because we're so close to our max. The heart rate doesn't come down between the intervals because we're not conditioned and fit enough with the big aerobic base. And so we're not able to actually do quality enough work to really ever run any faster. So if we spend this extended period of time really developing that what we call, you know, base phase for beginners, base and durability, depending on where they come from, really important for triathletes that come from swim backgrounds. They actually have a really, really low, that's a whole nother topic. They might have like a really low heart rate and an enormous engine but structurally they don't have the durability. So the approach still needs to be the same. So it might not even be a, a heart rate gauge that you're watching with those athletes. It's something you're like, how is their durability factor? But it's the same idea. You're building that so that then when it comes time to do the quality for that next step of, of their development, that they're actually able to get the most out of it. And that's, what's going to make them faster eventually. I don't know if that's what you guys have noticed when you, when you're watching those markers, the fitter you are, when you come into the sport of running. So whatever, if you come from a soccer background, you've cycled a bunch, you're a swimmer for your whole life. You're a rower, the fitter you are coming into run training, like the more precarious of a situation it is. And like, sure. If you're a total couch potato, like you probably are starting at walking anyways, and then progressing to walk, run. But the, the really fit people, actually the barista around the corner, he, that I go to every day. He's uh he was a bike racer for a really long time. And he's telling me, Oh, I just, you know, I just ran five miles. That's the longest I've run, you know, in 15 years or something like that. And he's like, yeah, I ran 720 pace because he was a, he was a cat one, two bike racer. And I'm like, cool. How long are you going to last? Because like, he's going to get hurt. It's like his fitness isn't the problem. It's his durability. And it's like, it's great to be able to go out for a run, but you also have to ask yourself, how long do I want to do this? So if you're just there to like, you know, do a triathlon and quit, then you're probably not listening to this podcast anyways. But if you, you know, if you're there to do it a long time, you have to kind of, you have to take the time to slow down, to set up the durability. And if you're, if you're that fit person, remember, you're not actually training necessarily yourself aerobically for running, you're training your ligaments and your bones. And that's where like that 120 day thing I like to bring up, because then I'm saying, even at the end of 120 days, you're not invincible. You're just slightly less likely to break yourself than you were four months or four months ago. Um, so it's a big, big process and it can take some time, but that's, that's how it works. Yeah. And it's a, that, that specific issue with, um, swimmers, people mm -hmm. coming, you know, really, really good swimmers that come into triathlon and now they've got to develop their run. Um, normally they're super, super flexible, um, which is obviously tough for a runner. You know, runners usually have really short thick tendons. And obnoxious for those of us who weren't swimmers. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> they have, you know, they're really, really flexible. Um, usually if they were a great swimmer, they're probably a little taller or maybe even a little heavier. So they're carrying a little bit more upper body mass. Maybe they're a tiny bit heavier and compared to like a traditional runner, right? Um, they're really flexible. They don't, they haven't ever been on land weight bearing for years and years. Um, but they've got this, you know what I mean? They're not like. Are you talking about humans or like yeah. seals? 
Like in terms of athletics, they've spent oh, I know, the full I know. development in the water, but they've got these enormous engines on them and they've worked at a capacity where they're, you know, used to working at 80, 90, 95% for most of their workouts. And so then they come into running with all of that sort of mixture. And if, if that's not handled the right way, I see a lot of swimmers spend the first two, three years of their triathlon career, either injured or just simply not running to their potential because um, maybe not understanding those things very well. So, yeah, I think we need to make walking. Okay. Yeah. It's ultimately like if you're one of those beginner folks, and even if you're coming back from a massive injury, like you literally, the saying you have to walk before you can run is the most true in high level run training. Like, so I coached a woman who qualified for Olympic trials in the 2016 in the marathon. She was actually the actual slowest qualifier in the race. Like she was seated last out of whatever, however many, and she slipped off a curb and like super messed up her Achilles um, three months, three and a half months before the race. And so all she did was tre uphill treadmill walking. She was doing these insane uphill treadmill walking workouts. And yes, she finally got up to like maybe an 11 or 12 mile run, like the week before the race. But like, if you're doing Olympic marathon trials, you don't expect to come in with one easy long run of 12 miles. Moral of the story is she beat like 70% of the field while see with just uphill walking. Like if you do intense uphill walking, you're going to be good at running. And there's a reason that you hear all these stories about these mountain runners, you know, also actually have pretty decent speed. Now, is it world, world-class? No, but you can get really fast off of just, you know, walking. A Sorry to come full circle with what you guys are saying. I, one of my other notes is having a gearbox and I feel like I've used this in the other two sports as well. So I might as well use it in running, but I think you have to have that really easy gear. So you have other gears you can go into, right? If, if you don't know how to have that easy gear, then you're not going to have those higher gears to get into. So, and maybe for some people that easy gear is walking, right? Cause you need to be able to shift. And so, yeah, I think being able to go slow so that you can go fast is, is super important. Um, the other point that I see a lot of runners get stuck on is how should their foot strike be? Do you guys have any, any foot strike strong opinions? I see beginner runners trying to like change a lot of things with the run right off the go. Cause they think they're doing it incorrectly. Your body knows how to run, how it knows how to run. And so you're the best way to change your foot strike is to like change muscle strength in various areas and change mobility. So if you're super tight, you might be landing in a funny way. So you don't need to consciously focus on landing in a different area. You need to, you know, have a stronger core, have stronger glutes, have better posture overall, not while you're running just in life. Um, and then if you run more and more and more, uh, and, and you do it appropriately, like we were just talking about taking your time and building up your foot strike may naturally change. It also might not. I think one of the best things you can do is watch a whole bunch of like for instance, there was uh, some track races on in Texas last night that I was watching and we're watching all these really fast runners and guess what? They all don't run the same and they're all very similar speeds. So you don't need to just pick out a really fast runner and try to mimic them. You need to remember that you can run fast a whole bunch of different ways. And that's how we've kind of evolved as a species. Um, and, and just kind of like be comfortable with where you're at and think more about your progression. At least that's my thought. You guys are welcome to disagree. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think we, you see it out there all the time. There's the different, you know, are you a shuffler? Or are you a power runner? Are you, you know, and there's definitely different styles to, to different runs and maybe there's going to be a most efficient version of you for running, whether that be, you know, for you, where do you carry your, your hand carriage or your shoulder carriage, how relaxed you are, those kinds of things. There's maybe little things that each athlete can do to be more efficient for themselves. But I agree that for the most part, I mean, if a dog is chasing you and you, you probably know how to run, right? So um, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to run. So there is, I mean, I think there is something, everyone has like a natural way that they, they run. And then over mileage and over time, you're going to find the most efficient way for you to do that across your distance. And then there's going to be, what is your most efficient and fastest way to run off the bike, depending on the distance that you're running? You know, are you trying to run a fast 5k? Are you trying to run a fast 10k? Are you running a marathon? Um, those kinds of things. So I think, I think you'll agree. I agree. You will naturally find that, you know, you can look at through history, you see big power runners like Ferris and, you know, some of the big tall guys that have run really, really fast, you know, two, two forties, two off the bike. And then you've seen, you know, the really efficient, you know, maybe they might be a little bit smaller and their turnover is a little higher, but they're all running the same pace. So, um, so yeah, in terms of foot strike, I would agree. It's, it's, unless you're chronically injured or completely falling apart on the back half of your runs, and it's proving to be a significant problem for, for what you're trying to do, I think, you know, it's going to naturally develop on its own. You can do things to help develop that stuff like downhill strides, drills, agility drills, you know, doing strides at the end of every single one of your run is going to help you develop your run gait and your, and you know, your turnover and your posture and your arm carriage and all these things. So something like, you know, four to six by 15 to 20 second strides at the end of every single run, that's going to help you. Some of them, you could do a little uphill, you could do a little downhill, a little flat, and just adding those a little bit every single time that's going to help you develop to be a more efficient runner. We don't need to run. We want to still run athletically, right? You want to, whether it's uh, whatever foot strike that is, or, and especially if you've got a little bit older athletes starting out, the big thing that I want to teach them in their mind is think like an athlete. I want to see people running athletically in some way, whatever that foot strike or posture might be for them. I just want you to know the first thing that popped into my head was just somebody in gym shoes with like really cool shorts. That's what right. athletically means. <laughs> right. uh. Jesse. Um, yeah. The, what I like to have athletes think about over, over how their foot is striking is, is where it's striking. And I always want to make sure it's striking underneath their hips and above and beyond that, how it actually touches the ground is kind of somewhat irrelevant. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I guess I, I, sh I left that part out. I very much agree with that, but. And, and you can, you can work on the treadmill a little bit too. If you're trying to improve that, you know, treadmill is a good tool for listening to your feet. You know, if you're hearing yourself, if you're doing, say, say you set your treadmill at a certain speed, that's a little bit quick for you to, and you're doing on, off, on, off. And every time you hit the deck, if you start to really pound the deck, right, you might be starting to lose form or you're not feeling that like quick snappy foot strike off the, off the deck, off the treadmill deck. So that, that can be those kinds of sound cues can help people if they're doing it in front of a mirror, they're watching themselves, um, you know, for wherever their posture and foot strike lies, it's going to sound a certain way when they're in their best form. And, and then they can memorize that and memorize that feel and, and translate it 
to longer and longer intervals as they start to run quicker. And you can, I just know from experience of like when I have run hundred mile weeks, that's just a barrier that people seem to talk about anyways. Um, you can do that exact same thing outside, right. And you run on pavement and you kind of hear yourself. And I know that's, that's a really good cue. If you see someone over striding, um, you, you can, you can like hear it. And I know like way back in the day, like, for instance, like when me and Hoffman first started running over 15 miles, he has a really long stride. Um, and that's, what's comfortable for him. Kind of, as you mentioned, like in the line of someone like Ferris, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just like, what's efficient for him. But when we were first doing those really long runs, it was getting way too long and you can like hear it. Right. Um, yeah. and even, and Jesse, Jesse's stride is probably like a good 40 cadence a minute higher than Ben's like that's not even an exaggeration because Jesse's way on the high end and Ben's way on the way low end so if you've done runs with the two of them like I'm kind of in the middle but if I run with Ben I feel like I'm speed racer and if I run with Jesse I feel like I'm loping along um meanwhile both of them are beating me um but anyways but (laughs) that 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 noise cue you can pay attention to and you just have to remember like same thing with cadence. Like there's a really big range of what can be effective. And same thing with that footfall. There's a big, big range of what can be effective. Um, landing with your feet underneath your hips or your hips over your feet generally is going to be a pretty good cue for anyone. Um, and I would suggest like, if you land massively in front of your hips, don't try to change from landing a foot in front of you to run underneath, try to land 11 inches in front of you instead and like slowly make that change just because it takes such a long time to learn it and just kind of constantly push. Um, and that, that'd be one thing I say for someone who is trying to make that change. Yeah. I also, I also like to give tips, like, uh, even just having people try and pick up their cadence. I think in general, if you pick up your cadence, your foot's going to slide a little bit closer to your hips if you are overstriding. So not even thinking about the overstride, thinking about increasing that turnover some other way. So they're not like focused on, on that aspect. They're using some other form cue, like moving your arms faster or something like that to, to try and get that effect down. So they're not focusing on what they're doing wrong, I guess. Yeah. And you know, it's funny enough, your, your feet will actually follow your hands. So if people are struggling to hear that sound cue or they're just not, um, sort of attaching the two together, you can, you, it's easier for people to figure out what's, what their hands are doing. So if you, as a coach can take them and, you know, change maybe their hand carriage, making sure that, you know, thumbs are up soft hand, but closed, you know, maybe how they're, where they're carrying their arm, if they're lacking cadence a bit, maybe their arm is like a little hanging a little low and it's like, big wide pendulum and you can say, well, let's tighten up that angle a little bit, increase your, you know, your elbow drive and, and increase your arm swing a little bit. And by them being able to just feel that in their hands and in their arm swing, their feet, their feet will pick up speed a little bit. So it's like feet will follow hands. I find that works for athletes that are struggling to, to feel that in their feet and in their posture. Um, way back in the day, there used to be a really fast ITU athlete who ran with sticks they called him Robo and he had his running sticks. And it was for that reason. It and was Robo, not Robo. 
I'm just yeah, learning. Maybe, maybe it was. I don't know. I probably Peter Robertson. But also, name. yeah, yep, mm-hmm, Peter Robertson. And then, you know, Bella Comerford back in the day, too, she was a fantastic runner, really consistent. She always ran with the running sticks as well. And it was just for hand position and hand carriage. And it was really like that cadence for when she got tired. It, it allowed her to have some kind of cue from her hands that ended up leading to her feet following and kept her really fast and efficient through the whole marathon. So there's a lot of tricks out there that you can teach yourself to do this stuff over time. And it's uh, if you think that's not real, it's purely a balance thing, right? Your arms are like your arms to your legs are just the same as a dog's tail to it running. Like your arms and your legs have to match or you're not balanced. So if you, if you speed up your arms, your legs have to match or you literally fall over. And it's like something you don't realize while you're doing it. It's just the thing. So like at the end of the race, right, you pick up the speed of your arms, your legs are going to follow suit. Um, and granted it's hard to do either way, but just find the friends episode of Phoebe. Oh, Jesus. Running. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. It's painful. Oh, and before I forget, if anybody wants to like look up uh, an athlete who just showed up on the biggest days, look up Peter Robertson's history. So like his story of like how he even gets into world championships and then ends up winning them is, is pretty insane. You know, you had to win a race to get into the next race, to win that race, to get into that race. And that race is the world championships and he wins and he did it more than once. Um, and he ran with some things in his hands and was pretty damn fast. So <laughs> That's your history lesson for the day. Right. So wrapping up the things we would recommend for beginners and let me know if I, if I miss anything or you want to reword something, but I would say starting out as easy as possible, starting out with frequent shorter runs and then taking a look at maybe your cadence, your arm carriage, anything like that, that can kind of help your posture and making sure you're in decent running shoes for how you run. Yeah. And then the last thing I would add is um, start to incorporate drills and strides. That's going to be a fundamental for beginners to learn to, to run well and, 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 you know, look up some, look up what those might look like, whether they're uphill drills or they're a little bit of downhill drills, you know, strides at the end of those easy runs on the flat, that kind of thing, or on the treadmill for sound cues um, and, and other kinds of drills. You know, there's a lot of them out there, play around with them, get comfortable with them, get your coordination going, feel athletic and, and play with those. And that's going to help your development for when you do start to make the next step towards faster running. Yeah. It's literally like you can get to like 98% of your capacity as a runner purely just with mileage and strides, you know, like it gets you so far. Um, so many strides. And I just want to give a shout out to Vaseline and as well. (laughs) All right. What if, what if you're an advanced runner, you, you know, you, you can run, I don't know, 40 miles a week and you want to step on the gas and pick your speed up a little bit. Do you have any, um, any just maybe short tips you could give to somebody who's already running pretty well that wants to take their running to the next level? Personally, time at intensity with good form trumps just how hard you run. So I'd rather see someone run 12, 800s at actual 10 K pace than 12, 800s way faster than 10 K pace. Um, cause they're going to be able to repeat it more often. So it's not like not one in one point, it's like more amount of fast running in that workout, but it's also like 
when's the next time can you do that? And did it annihilate you? Yes or no. So like, if you look at the like Norwegian one, the Norwegian triathlon team, but two, the Norwegian um, runners like that family Ingebrigtsen's, they have a sweet TV show on YouTube. It's dubbed into English if you want to watch it. And if you look at their training, it's just a ton of time at or around 10 K pace, even though they're super fast milers. And I think that works for almost anyone. If we're just going to go with a base tip. Yeah. I think the a cool thing that you're saying there and might be missed by some triathletes is triathletes tend to not run at their specific pace for their event very much. And I think um, running specifically off the bike at your, you know, at your, or just below your Ironman marathon pace is a step that a lot of people miss. They do long runs, they do fast running, they do maybe, you know, quite a bit of threshold, cumulative threshold work, but running at exact, um, Ironman marathon pace and doing, doing a lot of that, even off short bikes, maybe you 90 minute bike, two hour bike or something like that. And then you're doing, you know, maybe you're doing a 30 K run where a good, a good chunk of that is done it not faster and not easy, you know, aerobically, but just right at that specific Ironman pace that can be really helpful for more advanced, um, Ironman, Ironman racers. So if we're talking about the long distance there, I think that's something, something to really look at. Um, I do think if you're quite advanced and you're looking for that very top end of the podium, you should start looking at things like how much running can you do at, at altitude? You know, there's different things within running that we can do um, that, that ha will have an impact for the really advanced athletes. So are you doing your speed work, you know, on, on treadmills or a little bit of over speed work, maybe with, um, you know, at sea level or with tow ropes where the turnover is really, really fast. And, and you're, and we're talking about quite advanced athletes, obviously those kinds of things, extended long hill, downhill running to get ready for the pounding later on in a marathon at that kind of pace, um, doing lots of running at altitude when you're doing your, your base camps, those kinds of things. So if we're trying to push the limit for the really fast athletes that are trying to win races, those kinds of things, you need to start to think outside the box on, on that stuff, just outside your normal training and your intervals and progression and, and total mileage and how much running are we doing off the bike and those things. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to really dig around some of those more, you know, outside the box type thinking things. Yeah. And I would just say, you can also stretch a lot of the beginner ideas we had to more advanced running, like talking about more frequent runs, you can do like, say a, a triple where you're doing three runs in a day, or you can do, you know, three runs in 36 hours, kind of all close together. You can find ways to kind of sneak in volume. So you're not having to do a bunch of two plus hour runs. And then also, I just think if you are trying to work on increasing that volume, it does make it even more important to keep those easy days easy, even easier so that you can really nail the hard days, even if the hard days aren't all out efforts, but they are like, say that 10 K effort or something, you want to make sure you're rested enough to really hit that and be able to hit that well. And then again, recover from that. Well, and one thing that I do see most people that are like advanced at running and trying to get better doing is that they have a good activation routine that works for them and some sort of like cool down routine that works well for them to make sure they're actually ready to start running. 
and then making sure they're doing some work after they run so they're going to be ready for that next session. You need to stay healthy. And I really do think like easy miles and strides is going to get you most of the way there. So if you're ever just like, what do I do? What do I do? Just like, make sure that you remember if you stay healthy and you run easy and you do strides, you will be fast or at least faster. Yeah, I would, I definitely agree with that. And I would say the more advanced you get, I think the temptation is to continue to push the boundaries with speed work. And I think it's important for advanced runners to remember that um, speed work brings you into pretty good form and the fitter you are and the longer you've been doing it, you come into form quicker and quicker. So the amount of fast running you actually need to do needs to be monitored pretty carefully. And so make sure that you're really taking the time to lay out a well thought out training program and plan that works backwards from your races or when you plan to you know, be in your best shape, those kinds of things, because you can run, like you said, Elliot, run long and easy and lots of mileage with strides for a long period of time before you need to start doing too many fancy, you know, workouts and, and, you know, the period of time that your body can handle those fast workouts needs to be carefully placed and, and how many you actually need to do isn't as much as most advanced run runners think. Well, well thank you guys for, uh, for spending an hour with me. It was, it was good to see you 45 minutes. Hope you all have a good day. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks guys. And if you guys do have any more questions, feel free to reach out to any of us. All right. Enjoy. Cheers.